Thank you, Jennifer. What a timely message for us in this season of the year. I'm reading from the book of Habakkuk. If you would uh, like to follow along in the reading of Scripture, one of the hard books of the Bible to find. Uh, it's uh, almost at the old of the New Test at the end of the New Old Testament, before you get to the New Testament. It is uh, the fifth book, I think, from the end. About 59 verses long, divided into three chapters, the prophecy of Habakkuk. Habakkuk makes quite a transition uh, in uh, this, this 59 verses. Uh, one of the minor prophets of God, he came with a very short message from God, a very short time frame. Therefore, he's referred to or in the category of the minor prophets, not because his message is unimportant, but because of the length of time that is involved. And... Uh, so we read from the third chapter of the book of Habakkuk, the last few verses of the third chapter, beginning with verse 17. Habakkuk finally came to the point where he said, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. Well, Habakkuk starts on the scene uh, kind of uh, pointing out to God how bad conditions are in his world. And to, to paraphrase and take a little bit of liberty with this message, to paraphrase it, he seems to be saying to God, how can I have a grateful heart in the midst of the world I am living in? And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to solve the national problems? And how are you going to turn the hearts of people in the right direction? How in the world can I be thankful when there's so many things wrong in the world I have to live in? And God's answer shocked Habakkuk in two ways. In fact, God would say to Habakkuk, I'm going to do something you can't believe. And, and the end result is I'm going to send the Babylonians to discipline my people for 70 years. That was the first shock. The second shocking thing that God revealed to Habakkuk is that to have an attitude of thanksgiving in the midst of this world, Habakkuk had to change versus God changing the physical circumstance. I've uh, made reference before to the, to, uh, to the first time I remember having a T-bone steak. I had heard about T-bone steaks. I kind of heard that that was kind of the, 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 uh, the king of the cow. And, you know, rich people ate T-bone steaks and all goes along with that. The first time I remember eating one, though, was my, the, the day of my high school graduation. I'd been uh, not feeling well for a few days. I had a summer cold, and uh, we had uh, graduation in old Longview Lobo Stadium. It was an open-air deal. In fact, the stadium was so old, it was condemned shortly after, uh, after my graduation. Uh, being a W and going in alphabetical order, I believe I was 623rd in line to walk across the stage. And it was a grueling night. It was a grueling night for somebody with a cold that uh, didn't really want to do all that. And it was late at night by the time I finished. The good news was there was only about 15 people behind me that, uh, that had to go. When they got to the W's, they were almost finished. And for the first time in our history of our little church, we had a youth pastor that had uh, finished his semester at Bethany Nazarene College and moved in. He was related to the pastor, and, and Reggie came and uh, stayed the whole time and cheered and hollered when, when number 623 walked across the stage and didn't fall. And afterwards, Reggie said, I'm going to take you out for a celebratory meal. Where in this place can you buy a T-bone steak this late at night? Well, I had no idea, first of all, 
because uh, uh, we didn't eat out much and, you know, didn't know the restaurants in town and didn't know anything like that. But we finally found a little spot out on the highway. It had, uh, it had, uh, uh, it had pool tables on one end of the, of the building and a bar in the middle, and then they served food on the other side. But since they had a tablecloth on the tables and you ate with a plate that had to be washed when you were finished and not thrown away, and somebody came and waited on you, Reggie believed that was a good enough restaurant for us to eat. And I got a T-bone steak, and I remember the lady asking how I wanted it, and I wasn't quite sure what she meant. And after two or three times of, uh, of asking, I, I just said, well, I don't know what to answer. I guess I just want it cooked. And she, she kind of laughed and thought I was being a smart aleck and realized I wasn't and finally wanted to know how I wanted it cooked. And I didn't know the answer to that either. I said charcoal would be good, and she said no. Anyway, baked potato, and I wasn't sure. Reggie finally chimed in and said, he's uh, never done this before. Let me order for him. And I had a T-bone steak and a baked potato and a, and a, a bunch of stuff put on it that I didn't understand and, and, and a salad, and the lady read it back, a T-bone uh, cooked medium well, a potato that's walked through the garden, and a salad, and I didn't really know what all that was, but I ate the T-bone steak late at night with a cold, and I wasn't really very impressed with it. I, I wondered what all the hoopla was about. Uh, it was uh, it was a nice meal and a nice gesture that uh, Reggie had, and and uh, it was a it was a, an unusual setting, but nonetheless it was something I had experienced, and I came away from there saying that the best part of this is I can now say that I have done this and had this kind of meal. wasn't too impressed with it though, but it was later in the summer that uh, that I think the pastor called uh, my dad and said we're cleaning out the freezer, and we found in the back of the freezer a package of T-bone steaks, and we could add a little, couple to it, and, and we'll bring those over if, 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 your, if Betty will cook them, and, and we'll have a time of fellowship together at a T-bone steak. And uh, they all agreed to do that. Boy, that, sm that meat smelled good cooking over a charcoal fire. I didn't have a cold. My head was clear. My taste buds were, were, were on overdrive. And the longer I smelled that, the hungrier I got. And we had a baked potato with uh, everything that we had to put on it. And I think a little bit of fresh onion and cooked onion and a big slice of, of ice-cold, red-ripened, backyard-grown tomatoes. And anybody hungry yet, by the way? And I put that in my mouth, and it was the best thing I believe I have ever tasted. I, I have liked charcoal meat since then. I ate all that. In fact, it was so good I didn't want to stop eating. I, I cut the steak in small bites so I could eat the meal longer. And, and uh, after it got through, still was wanting to continue that uh, wonderful experience. I picked up the bone and, and, and probably gnawed on that, that in a way that's not very sophisticated, but boy, it sure is good. And there was actually one left. I don't know if they miscounted or somebody didn't come, and I ended up eating that one as well, and baked potato and some corn, corn on the cob and, and fresh vegetables. I'll tell you, it was the greatest meal I think I've ever eaten. I still remember it vividly today. As I've thought about that in the years, I wondered, what, what, what's, what's changed? The same meal on high school graduation, the same food on that night, the same setting except it's a restaurant versus home. What's the difference? And I finally came to the conclusion that the difference was me. It was not in the setting. It was not in who prepared it. It was me. First time I was a little bit uh, under the weather and and head clogged up, and, you know, taste buds not really functioning well, and, and it was just kind of blah, but boy, when everything was clicking, and I felt good, and all that, I, I was just an absolute, I was the change, and to put it in preacher language, same meal, same kind of environment, I had become different, and Habakkuk comes to that conclusion in, in this story, 
He begins by, by almost arguing with God. He begins by, by voicing great frustration to God. Do, do you, are you even aware of what's going on down here, Habakkuk said? Chapter 1, in the first few verses, he reminds God how violent their world had been. I cry out to you, violence, but it seems like you're not even listening. And Habakkuk reminded God of the injustice of his world. And why do you tolerate such wrong, he says? Destruction and violence are ever before me. In this world among your people, because Habakkuk was a Jewish man writing about the Jewish people, he said, in this setting among your people, there is strife and conflict and jealousy abounding. The law is even paralyzed. Justice never prevails. It seems like the wicked him in the righteous, justice is perverted. It seems like those people on the other side are winning, and God's people are cowed down, taking a back seat. Habakkuk prays this prayer in chapter 1 and says, God, I prayed to you, and you've not done anything, and you've remained as silent, and I wonder if you're even hearing me, and I don't know what to do. I cry out to you about what needs to change in my world. I'm reminded, as I've read this again, was Habakkuk describing his world or our world? What a violent country we, we live in these days. What an what a environment we live in where evil seems so prevalent. I'm shocked at the things that I read on, in the paper or hear on the uh, TV news. I'm shocked at, the, at what people do to other people. It almost seems like our society, like Habakkuk's, has turned away from God and is not interested in the things of God anymore. We're moving further and further and further away from God. In fact, the person who tries to live a godly life is the, is the exception to the point that he's almost ridiculed. Habakkuk, if Habakkuk would have put something in here about the political environment, I know he was talking about our world today. <laughs> but he says to God, how in the world can we survive? In the context of today's topic, how can I be thankful when the world is such a mess? He would go on to say that he would encourage God to straighten the people out, to deal with the wicked people and straighten them out, to, to end the violence of the world and to do all these kinds of things. God would say to him, I'm going to answer your prayer and you're not going to believe it. Some have just read that part of Habakkuk's book and think that God is about to send mighty revival and all the positive things, but, but God said, I'm going to send with my blessing and my anointing the Babylonian army led by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they are going to discipline my people. And they're going to destroy this town, and they're going to break the walls of, of, of security around uh, down, and they're going to destroy your environment, and they will end the violence, and they will end the injustice, and they will end all these things, Habakkuk, you're worried about. In chapter 2, Habakkuk says, wait a minute now. I want you to come and act in our world, but don't do that. These Babylonians are mean people. They are ruthless people. They will destroy everything. And chapter 2 is an interesting conversation as God answers and as Habakkuk begins a second series of complaints. Somewhere in chapter, the transition of the time frame of chapter 2 and 3, God simply says to Habakkuk, be quiet and watch. And Habakkuk climbs up on top of a watchtower to wait and watch. Jerusalem was surrounded by this massive wall. 
It was so thick that three, some places they could have chariot races on top of the wall and three abreast. And I'll tell you, the guy that missed a turn didn't get a second chance on that deal. The wall was as much as 25 feet high. And on top of that, there were watchtowers that extended even higher, 75 feet, maybe 100 feet, so they could have a perspective to see the enemy coming. And Habakkuk climbed on top of that. I don't know if it was to see if he could see the Babylonians coming or to truly do what God told him to do. And he sat down and waited. In chapter 3, he begins to pray. That is the turning point for Habakkuk's perspective. He begins to pray. He stops complaining to God about how everything is, and he begins to pray. He, he stops questioning God as to what in the world are you doing, and he begins to pray. He, he stops saying to God, this is a violent, wicked world, and, and it's not getting any better, and you're not doing anything about it, to, to beginning to pray. He stops saying to God, you are silent and seemingly unaware, and we're dying down here, and we need some help. He stops doing that and begins to wait and watch and pray. I want to remind you this morning, our world needs prayer more than ever before. We should not stop for our, the leaders of our country, whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, we should, stop, we should not stop praying for them that God would somehow be able to, to break through and invoke subsets of morality in the, in the mess that we live in. But Habakkuk discovered something else. When he honestly began to pray and seek God, it was transforming his own mind, his own heart, his own perspective. And he begins to praise God. He begins to think about the things he has to praise God for. He begins to think about the blessings of God, and he comes to the conclusion that God is great no matter what, and God is sovereign no matter what, and God is so, uh, is so mighty and big and in control of things, I will praise God no matter what is happening around me. And uh, that's the conclusion of his prophecy and of his book and of his writing. Uh, he asked God to renew them. He asked God to renew himself and as well as them. And, and like it was in days remembered, uh, days in the past, he talks about the glory of God that covers the heavens. He talks about that praise to God fills all of the earth, whether he knows it or not. He talks about the glory and splendor of the sunrise and talks about the rays that flash from God's hand and the power that God has that is somewhat hidden from us. He talked about how God can stand and shake the earth and make the nations tremble and the ancient mountains crumble and the old hills collapse for God's ways are eternal. And he begins to focus on the greatness and blessing of God. We used to sing a song in church. In fact, we're going to sing it again today. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. I don't know if you've ever done that in uh, your devotional life or in your journaling or whatever you do to really stop and praise God for what He has done for you. Yes, the world around us is not in good shape. And by the way, from our Bible gospel reading today, God says these things have to happen and it's going to get worse regardless of the world environment, regardless of the evil regardless of the violence that's all around us, regardless of, of road rage and, and, and just a hateful attitude that seems to permeate so much of our world, God has blessed every one of us in ways far beyond what we deserve. And Habakkuk would go back to the very beginning to say, what a glorious sunrise it is that God has commanded the sun to come up 
And Habakkuk would, would get to the point where he says, and, and, and the breath God gives every one of us. And, and although I, I don't see today, and I see in a very small snapshot of what's going on, I understand you have all the power in the world to do anything you want. And I am blessed that I serve a God who's, as I like to say, is large and in charge. I am blessed to serve a God, and I'm reminded from Beverly Curtis, Germany's favorite saying, in the end, folks, God wins. I'm blessed to be called by Him as one of His own. I'm blessed that the most powerful entity and being in the universe knows my name. Think about it. I'm blessed that He knows how many hairs I have on my head. I'm helping God with that a little bit these days as uh, the numbers seems to be going down. I'm blessed to know that I have a future with God and a home in heaven and a blessed, pure, perfect environment to go to. And Habakkuk said, I'm so upset about what's going on today, but as I finally stop and listen, the Hebrew word actually says, would, would, would quote God as saying to Habakkuk, would you just shut your mouth for a while, and would you listen? And Habakkuk waits with a concept of a word of anticipation, not just doing nothing, he is waiting in anticipation of what God is going to bring. And God so brings a transition into the mind of Habakkuk that he comes to the conclusion that God is great and serving him is great. And he sums it all up by saying, Oh God, though the fig tree doesn't bud, you, sovereign Lord, are my strength. And though there are no grapes on the vines and the olive crop fails. By the way, remember that this is an agrarian society. The, the Jewish people at this time were all about what they grew. Though no grapes are on the vines and the olive crop fails, though the investment account is gone to zero, and though the stock market has fallen, and though you've had expenses you've never dreamed of, and what you thought was your security seems to be dwindling down. Habakkuk says it in this way, no grapes on the vines, no olive crop, no olives in the olive orchard, even the fig trees don't bud. And even though there's no sheep in the pen and cattle in the stalls, because of who God is, and because of what He's done in my life, yet I will rejoice and be joyful in God my Savior. For the sovereign God is my strength and my portion and my thanksgiving. It is an incredible transformation. Same environment, same condition, same, same concerns. What has changed? I have changed, Habakkuk said, and realized that I still have reason to praise God. I want to remind you on this Thanksgiving Sunday, just uh, four days before we celebrate a national day that captures the attention of our entire country. By the way, there's very few things that do that anymore. We have so much to be thankful for. Though, though there's sickness in my family, I will praise the Lord. Though there's pain and suffering and there's separation and there's division and, and though I've gotten sick and don't get better, although there's even death, I have reason to praise the Lord because He is great. He is mine and He knows me by name. And I've got a home in His house. And one day when all this is over, He's going to call me into His house to the room He's already prepared and I will live in a perfect, pure world in which God 
has control. And so I want to remind you this morning as we grasp our perspective, yes, there's a lot going on in the world that's not good. I don't expect that to get better, by the way. I'm not a pessimism, pessimistic as much as I'm a believer in God's Word. I don't expect it to get better. So what? God is in control. And I wish that I didn't have to deal with the things in my life that I've had to deal with, that you've had to deal with. I wish sickness would go away in the midst of such medical, uh, miracle, and miraculous things we've even heard about today. Why doesn't God end some of this stuff? I, I don't have a good answer. In the midst of the strife of life, it seems like evil's winning. But hold on to your seat on the watchtower. God would say, listen, watch, wait, and pray, and I will be able to bring about a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude in your heart and life. We sometimes think that thanksgiving is a, is a concept that, brings, uh, uh, that makes us giggle and makes us giddy and makes us just kind of act silly. It's so joyful. That's such a surface amount of what thanksgiving really is. Thanksgiving is a, is a concern in our heart that, that has a foundation in the center of our being that says we are blessed people because of God. We don't live in a perfect world. We have a perfect God. We don't live in a, in a pure environment. We have a pure God. We don't live in a just setting, but we have a just God. Therefore, I will praise the Lord. And what an incredible, mature testimony it is for Habakkuk to say, even though there's no money in the bank, even though there's no crops in the fields or animals in the stalls, I have reason to praise the sovereign Lord. He is my strength. It's amazing to, if you read this book in its entirety, all 59 verses, you, you see at once Habakkuk comes on the scene almost mad and almost frustrated, and he is frustrated and almost mad at God. He's mad at his world. He's almost mad at God for, for, for tolerating it. <clears throat> he doesn't, he would really desire God to stop the violence and wipe out the evildoers and uh, make the wrong right, and he doesn't understand why God does it, but what a transformation begins as he begins to embrace God in a debate. What a transformation there is as he really begins to pray, and the transformation doesn't occur in his world. The transformation occurs in his heart, and may I say the same to you today. God's message is, yeah, the world's not perfect, you say it again, it's not going to get that way. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. The day of the Lord happens. And yeah, evil seems to abound, and we are afflicted in our physical bodies with, with pain. We are constantly wasting away, the Apostle Paul says, because we see only uh, the, the, we see just the temporary. But there is an eternal out there, an eternity out there that we don't see. And God will win. And for the faithful, God will, uh, God will one day welcome us into His house. I thought about that as you think about Thanksgiving and visitors coming and the anticipation of getting there and family coming. Sometimes that brings anticipation. Sometimes maybe it doesn't bring anticipation, but the other thing. But welcoming, opening the door, welcoming here, seeing kids, seeing grandkids, seeing loved ones, all that goes along with that. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when God opens the door to His house and says, come on in. I've been waiting for you. I've been preparing for you. I don't know if God cooks. I don't think He has to. But I've got the table set, and we are ready to have one big old feast, as we say, in East Texas, and we trust God. The transformation 
Habakkuk was looking for. It didn't happen the way Habakkuk thought it would, but he comes away with a renewed faith in God. And may that be what happens to us today. May, as I wish you a, a wonderful Thanksgiving season, may, may we have hearts of gratitude, not because everything's right, but because of who God is and His involvement in our lives. And we can say with Habakkuk, oh, there's no money in the bank. There's no crops in the fields. No sheep, no cattle. Boy, life for a moment is going to be really, really hard. I still can rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, for the sovereign Lord is my strength. And may that be the reality that permeates your hearts and lives this Thanksgiving season as we rejoice in God, as we rejoice in God, as we rejoice in God, not for all the stuff that's going on, we rejoice in God and let Him bring a transformation to us. And just like, the, just like my experience with a T-bone steak, same environment, but a very different person because of what God has done. Well, there's a famous, uh, in case you're not uh, aware, football, high school football is a pretty big deal in Texas. Amen to that. Everybody say amen to that. And out in the west part of the United States in the Permian Basin oil field is a high school in Odessa, Odessa Permian. They have been a perennial power in, uh, in football and uh, even have a movie written about them Friday night uh, or, or produced about their team and their glory years. Friday Night Lights, you might have seen that. The coach had a very interesting set of things he encouraged the players to focus on. Three things. I call them steps to a thankful heart, thankful attitude. He told his players before they hit the field, have clear eyes, full hearts, and a belief in themselves. Steps to a thankful attitude. Clear eyes. We see God. We see God above all the stuff that's happening. We see God in the midst of life. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Hearts filled with gratitude and praise to God. The miracle of God's involvement is He puts us in a setting that is very difficult and blesses us in the midst of it, and we can praise God when conditions around us seem to be anything but something we would praise God for. And then trust God, I would say, always. And in all things, we trust God. Steps to a thankful attitude, clear eyes, full heart, trust in the Lord, and He will help us. Thank the Lord for Zechariah for Zachariah too. He's next in the next book in the, in, uh, uh, after, uh, after Habakkuk. I'm looking at Zechariah. Thank the Lord for Habakkuk and for his wonderful message and for his demonstration to us that God seeks to bring the change in us. And we become, as Jesus said, the light of the world. And we become the salt that brings flavor. And we become the opportunity someone has to turn their life around and give it to God. And we become God's servant and God's messengers and God's ambassadors, and it begins with a content, contented heart, a contented life, a thankful heart. May God bless us as we think about these things in the midst of Thanksgiving week, in the fun you have, in the, in the joy that you have, in the good food, and the fellowship that goes along with it. May we not forget that God is great always, that God is still in charge. No matter what the 6 o'clock news says, God is still in charge, and God knows us everything about us, and God wins in the end, and God's people are on the team, win with Him. And everybody says amen, amen and amen. Let's stand this morning before we pray and dismiss. We're going to uh, sing uh, a song out of the 
an old song that we know in the hymnal. I believe it's 771, page 771. I don't know if we have the, have the words on the screen. I've uh, uh, sprung this on Derek too late, maybe, but would you sing uh, the truth of this message and make it real in your lives? Count your many blessings. <laughs> 